Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. You know, uh, the media are taking a beating from you, the American people. Washington's taking a beating from you, the American people. You see, the media and our politicians in Washington take you and me for granted. They really think we're foolish. We have these phony moderate Democrats who lied in order to get elected in these Trump districts who are now dramatically, after great thought, concluding that they will vote for impeachment. They must for the good of the country. They cannot sit by and allow our national security, our foreign policy to be the plaything of a of a radical president. And you're going to see the vast majority of these frauds vote for impeachment. That's what you're going to see. And there's even been positioning on this. The House of Representatives last November not and then later in January, when they were sworn in, was taken over by the Democrats. And they immediately moved. They planned up to that point and immediately moved for this moment. Scores and scores of subpoenas covering everything imaginable against the president, his family, his businesses, his, his staff, his former staffers. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Just to underscore a point we've talked about before. What the Democrats in the House have done with a fairly slim majority of 31 is forever destroy the impeachment process, undermine the separation of powers process, and will forever divide this country in ways that we've never seen before. Perhaps the Civil War and the 1960s riots. But they have routinized, made routine, what used to be considered a very grave act, the impeachment of a president. And this has been Pelosi's project despite her early admonitions against it. She's a radical leftist from San Francisco. That's all she knows. That's who she is. She's arrogant. She's hateful. She's power hungry. And we the people are going to have to watch this. Because this is going to go on. And this is why I said the very next Democrat president who's elected must be treated exactly the same way. It is the only way to stop it or to curtail it. It's the only way. 
They put out almost 700 pages today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, they ended their so-called impeachment inquiry in the House of Representatives late last week. They must have done a lot of writing over the weekend, Mr. Producer. This has been in the works a long time. And they have these generalized articles, abuse of power and obstruction of justice. And then they create these particularized, incoherent arguments about bribery and wire fraud and as they try and build a case around their imagined violations. They accuse the president of obstruction when he seeks judicial review. Judicial review goes back to the beginning of this republic. They have subpoenaed individuals around the president that any president would assert executive privilege to protect. They're trying to protect the office of the presidency. And they have sought through secondhand testimony, policy disagreements with State Department bureaucrats, among others, and a phony whistleblower who was told, I am convinced, to file under the whistleblower statute so they could give him cover, shift cover, and shift staff cover, as well as his lawyer, who supported a coup and the impeachment of the president in the first month of his presidency, which they've been permitted to do because of the media and others. It's a damn shame. I want to circle back to something and then we'll plow ahead. I'm going to give you some history lessons that I think you'll think are fascinating under the these circumstances that provide some context about how ridiculous it is to be impeaching a president over this phone call. But if it wasn't this, it would be something else. That's the point, ladies and gentlemen. That's the point. This FISA report, almost 500 pages, supports a position I have taken for two and a half going on three years soon based on media reports. Now, I know there are shows on Fox and shows elsewhere where they claim that they, they broke this. I can tell you, because millions and millions of you, you were here on the radio when I did it, that it was very early in March when I pulled all these news articles together, 2017, and laid out the case that the media were laying out because the media were serving as uh, assistants to these felonious leakers out of the FBI. And I pulled them together. For which I was attacked by none other than, well, by many so-called journalists, including Brian Stelter, who said, you can't prove that there was a FISA application. Of course, I couldn't prove it. It was in the newspaper. But he ignored it, and then he attacked me and sought me to to find independent support for it. Really remarkably stupid. To this day, he's never acknowledged it. He's a fraud. So, uh, do I have time to begin this, Mr. Producer, or should we wait after the break? Let's get started. This is, uh, what is the date? Do you recall? March 5th, 2017, that's Sunday, on Fox and Friends Sunday. And actually, uh, It was on March 2nd on my radio show on that Thursday before where I pulled all this together. But here we go. Go ahead. The evidence is overwhelming. This is not about President Trump's tweeting. This is the Obama administration's spying. And the question isn't whether it's spied. We know they went to the FISA court twice. The question is, who did they spy on? The extent of the spying. That is, 
the Trump campaign, the Trump transition, Trump surrogates. And I want to walk you through this, the American people. Exhibit one, exhibit one. This is all public. Head Street, two separate sources with links to the counterintelligence community have confirmed that the FBI sought and was granted a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court. This is spying. Uh, in October, giving counterintelligence permission to examine the activity of, quote, U.S. persons in Donald Trump's campaign with ties to Russia. Let me go on. This isn't me. They say the first FISA request, sources say, named Trump, was denied back in June, denied by the court. Mm -hmm. But the second was drawn more narrowly and was granted in October after evidence was presented of a server possibly related to the Trump campaign and its alleged links to two banks. Now, Sources suggest that a FISA warrant was granted to look at the full content of emails and other related documents that may concern U.S. persons. Now, I know people are hung up with Trump's word wiretapping. Well, how'd they get access to this server information? Does it really matter if it was wiretapping, electronic surveillance, or whatever it was? Exhibit 2, The Guardian, a well-known right-wing British paper. Here it is. Uh, quote, The Guardian has learned the FBI applied for a warrant from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court over the summer in order to monitor four members of the Trump team suspected of irregular contacts with Russian officials. Keep in mind, this is during a presidential election. The sitting president, the incumbent party, is now investigating the presidential candidate of the Republican Party and his campaign to some extent. The FISA court turned down the application asking FBI counterintelligence investigators to narrow its focus. According to one report, the FBI was finally granted a warrant in October. Exhibit three, McClatchy, another well-known right-wing newspaper. Here they have the agencies. Headline, FBI, five other agencies, five other Obama administration agencies pro possible covert Kremlin aid to Trump. The FBI and five other law enforcement intelligence agencies have collaborated for months in an investigation into Russian attempts to influence the November election, including whether money from Kremlin uh, covertly aided presidential-elect Donald Trump. Two people familiar with the matter said the agencies involved in the inquiry are the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the Justice Department, the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, and representatives of the director of the National Intelligence. Are you telling me Barack Obama didn't know what was Mark, going on in six go, agencies? As you hold go on, on hold why, on, how are hold you on. Okay, keep going. I'm not done. I need to make the case because the media seems to be confused about their own reporting. New York Times, another well-known liberal outlet, intercepted Russian communications part of inquiry into Trump associates January 19. The FBI is leading the investigations aided by the NSA, the CIA, Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Unit. The investigators have accelerated their efforts in recent weeks, but have found no exclusive, conclusive evidence of wrongdoing. Listen to this. One official said intelligence reports based on some of the wiretap communications have been provided to the White House. This is the New York Times. Another right-wing outlet. Four. Another right-wing outlet. Let's yeah. continue. <laughs> New York Times again. NSA gets more latitude to share intercepted communications. In the final days of the Obama administration, uh, the administration has expanded the power of the NSA to share globally intercepted personal communications with the government's 16 other intelligence agencies before applying privacy protections. Now, why would they do this on the way out the door? Well, March 1, Exhibit 6, Obama administration rushed to preserve intelligence of Russian election hacking. 
in the Obama administration's last days, listen to this, some White House officials scrambled to spread information about Russian efforts to undermine the presidential election and about possible contacts between associates of President-elect Trump and Russians across the government. I'm not done. <laughs> Exhibit 7, New York Times. Flynn is said to have talked to Russians about sanctions. Trump took office. Well, where'd they get this information? Well, Mark, you know, the FISA court, they're always monitoring the, uh, the uh, Russian ambassador. And so how do we know that? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But there's an awful lot of other activity. Sure. Here we have Washington Post. One more. Washington Post, March 2nd. U.S. investigators have examined contacts Attorney General Sessions had with Russian officials during the time he was advising Donald Trump's campaign. The focus of the U.S. counterintelligence investigation has been on communication between Trump campaign officials and mm -hmm. Russia. Listen to this. The inquiry involving Sessions is examining his contacts while serving as Trump's foreign policy advisor in the spring and summer of 2016. This has been going on for a year. How confident are you that this new this investigation, which was on Russian so-called Russian hacking, but now the White House says this morning will be broadened to looking into executive overreach? How confident Look, are you they clear. will find something there? I don't know, but let me, they already found something. The issue isn't whether the Obama administration spied on the Trump campaign or transition or certain of its surrogates. The issue is the extent of it. Mm -hmm. They went into court a second time. They were so aggressive. They waited four or five months. They go back in October, weeks before the general election. They narrow their request. All of a sudden, we have leaks coming out on Flynn. Then we have a, oh, a horrible meeting that took place between Sessions and so forth. And I'm telling you, as a former chief of staff to an attorney general of the United States in the Reagan administration, these are police state tactics. Now, what did Barack Obama know? He knew everything I just read to you part apart from one or two articles. You know how I know? It's in the newspapers. It's right there. So Barack Obama not only knew this, but he gets a daily intelligence briefing. And let me tell you something about daily intelligence briefings. If your attorney general and your FBI is going to the FISA court yep. to get a warrant to investigate aspects of an opposition party in the middle of a general election campaign. How much do you want to bet the president of the United States knew that? I don't want to Read bet his you opinion. on that. I'm live now as you listen to this. It was about seven minutes. And as you listen to us going through the FISA report the other day. I want you to think about this. Barack Obama and Joe Biden have never been held to account for any of this. Meanwhile, their party is impeaching Donald Trump, the victim. The victim of the Hillary Clinton campaign, the DNC, and the Obama and Biden administrations. The perpetrators are perpetrating the impeachment. The perpetrators are covering up what they did. With this massive investigation of Russia collusion, but we never investigated the Obama administration. We never investigated the Hillary Clinton campaign. We never investigated the DNC. All we investigated was the victim. Trump, who they're planning on impeaching this week. 
and they unleashed a special counsel. Schumer and the others put great pressure on the Justice Department, and they appointed a special counsel in violation of Department of Justice regulations. And it went on f- forever. And it came up empty. More when I return. Mark in. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. He's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat, so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. So my uh, seven or eight minutes or whatever it was, even longer, on Fox and Friends that Sunday, on uh, March 5th, 2017, was based solely on published newspaper articles. And so I pulled them together. And they were based clearly on leaks that were coming out of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, probably out of the CIA, as well as the White House. And the media distanced itself from the media. You had the New York Times basically denying its own reporting. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I put it to them. I put it to them. They thought they were going to destroy the president, and they were look at these leaks, and they whoa, 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 wait a minute. These leaks about FISA and all the rest tell me that the Trump administration, excuse me, the Trump campaign, and Later, I guess, the administration were spied on. You must be a right-wing nut. I got a lot more when we return. All three hours. Very, very important today. I hope you'll stick with me. I'll be right back. Liberty and learning. In a healthy democracy, these two things are mutually supportive. In America today, however, that bond is broken. To help repair the breach, Hillsdale College has launched the Van Andel Graduate School of Government in the nation's capital. And unlike other graduate programs, Hillsdale teaches politics as a human activity oriented toward justice. A series of choices, guided in the best case by right principles, but made in ever-changing circumstances that require prudence to achieve the best attainable results. Hillsdale's curriculum combines the careful reading of primary sources and serious historical inquiry. Students learn how to apply the principles of free government and advance the cause of constitutionalism in the context of ever-changing circumstances. Hillsdale's new Van Andel School of Government is a program unlike any other in Washington, D.C., Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. 
Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. America's most powerful conservative voice, The Mark Levin Show. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Having gone schizophrenic over their reporting about the FBI's surveillance of the Trump campaign and the Trump transition and the Trump presidency. The only thing the media knew how to do was to lash out. They never did square that circle. Was the reporting accurate? Mostly. Would they stand behind it? Not really. They had an agenda, as they do today. So how did the media react to my presentation of what the media had said. I merely took the time to pull together what they had written and said over the course of a half a year. This is what they did. Go ahead. White House officials say that the president's sources were various conservative outlets, most prominently perhaps radio host Mark Levin, who seemed to take three basic chunks of information and combine them into one conspiracy theory of what he calls a silent coup. And on the conservative Breitbart website, which Friday highlighted a conspiracy-loving radio talk show host, Mark Levin. Now, the story asserted that Obama has been trying to undermine Trump at every turn. As you can see from the headline, it was inspired by a Thursday night radio segment by conservative talk show host Mark Levin. Apparently, uh, this idea came from right-wing radio host and unlicensed gynecologist Mark Levin, who ranted about these wiretaps on his radio show. That show was then written up by Breitbart as Mark Levin to Congress investigate Obama's silent coup versus Trump. What does the White House gain by the president of the United by Steve Bannon most likely handing the president of the United States a, a Breitbart, Breitbart article. article and 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 talking about what a rabid right wing talk show host uh, has been theorizing? Start with uh, firebrand conservative radio host Mark Levin uh, briefly for people who don't know who is he? He's uh, got quite a following and he's not just a conservative figure but often espousing relative radical positions about the need to uh, reinvent the Constitution and the government and ways in which we think about society. The notion that Mark Levin is a news outlet, it's it's not the New York Times, it's not the Washington Post, it's not the Wall Street Journal, it's not the LA Times, it's not a major news network, it's Mark Levin, a guy who, I know what talk radio guys do, on left and right, mostly on right, they rile people up with outrageous charges and nobody keeps count of them. Here's the President of the United States getting his information from these people. Evidence for suggesting President Obama has committed a crime seems pretty thin. The detailed speculation from a conspiracy-loving talk show host, Mark Levin. Okay, I think we can now officially declare that Trump has a worse media diet than the son of Sam Killer. And he got all his news from a talking dog who told him to murder. And it went on like that. Uh, So... They never did come to grips, even to this day, they haven't come to grips with their own reporting because they were the recipient of felonious leaks from the FBI and other sources in the government. And those leaks would continue. But now this report underscores what we already knew, that the surveillance did take place. And if I was inaccurate in anything I said, it wasn't as a result of my reporting, it was a result of their reporting. I simply reviewed it very carefully 
And then my sixth sense told me to keep digging, and I kept digging, and I kept going back further and further. And there was a pattern of leaks, mostly from the FBI, and it was obvious to me as a former chief of staff to an attorney general. The same Democrats that like to talk about impeachment, abuse of power, had no interest in pursuing it whatsoever. None. The Mueller investigation pursued none of it. Now we have this FISA report where he can only pursue so much as the inspector general. Confidential informants. It was even worse than I said. Multiple FISA applications and extensions for warrants. This is essentially what I said based on the articles, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? And yet they go on and on. Right wing, right wing. I don't even know what right wing means. If you support the Constitution, you're a right winger? No, I don't think so. So the matter will still soon move to the Senate. Now, what's already interesting in the media coverage is that Chuck Schumer is getting more media time trying to create the narrative and position what's taking place in the Senate than Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. He's in the minority. The majority in the House had far more media time than the minority in the House because they were driving the agenda. Chuck Schumer can't drive the agenda unless four Republicans are peeled off. And yet Chuck Schumer is now saying what he demands, what he wants, and the media are regurgitating this. Did they regurgitate what Devin Nunes said he needed and wanted? Or Jim Jordan, what he needed and wanted? And down the list, of course not. So this is the way it works in this country with our media. And it's taking its toll on the media. It's taking its toll. There's a new survey out by Pew. And it is summarized well, and I have the survey here as well, and we'll get into it a little later, but I want to get into the general aspects of it, the major findings. In a piece that was in the Washington Examiner by Stephen Denon yesterday, missteps, selective coverage drive Trump supporters into full revolt against the press. President Trump has broken the press in America. Let's stop right there. We've never seen anything like we've seen today with our monopoly media. But the press broke the press. President Trump did not break the press. The press broke the press. In an unfreedom of the press, I explained that the press was going to break the press. And we're on that in a moment. He goes on to non, or at least he has left it bruised and battered, according to an analysis by the Pew Research Center, which crunched reams of data collected from 50 surveys and found that while Democrats continue to have faith in the American media, Mr. Trump's followers are quite done with it all. The findings were released just days after the press received its latest black eye in the Inspector General's report, looking at the FBI's behavior during its investigation into Mr. Trump. The Inspector General thoroughly punctured journalists who insisted that the Christopher Sill dossier had little to do with the FBI's ability to obtain a secret warrant to spy on one of the candidate's advisors. Fueled by those sorts of media missteps, Mr. Trump's followers are in full revolt against the press. 
According to Pew, the stronger the support for the president, the harsher the attitude toward the fourth estate. And the more knowledge about politics, the deeper the divide. A staggering 91% of politically woke Democrats say journalists are acting in the best interests of the public. Only 16% of politically astute Republicans say the same thing, Pew found. Republicans who strongly approve of the job Trump is doing are far more pessimistic in their evaluations of the news media than other Republicans. And Democrats, who are most disapproving of Trump's performance, are often more supportive of the news media than Democrats who disapprove less strongly, the research has concluded. The one area of agreement, neither side thinks the press deals fairly with perspectives, that is, all perspectives of the news. The last four years show the press is fundamentally broken, said Curtis Houck, managing editor at Newsbusters. Mr. Houck said CNN did spend additional time on the Republican hearing, but that was on its own reporters and pundits who focus on the Inspector General's finding. Let's see here. According to Pew, they found that just 20% of Republicans think journalists have high ethical standards. Only 30% believe the press acts in the best interests of the public. Self-identified Democrats, meanwhile, were far more forgiving. 76% saying the press acts for the public and 64% believing in the high ethical standards. Even Democrats are skeptical of fairness in the press. Just 37% said news organizations deal fairly with all sides. Among Republicans, only 12%. The more Republicans support Trump, the less likely they are to see journalists as fair or credible. Christina Bellatoni, who as a reporter covered Washington for years, including the Washington Times and who's now director of the Annenberg Media Center at the University of Southern California said the tension between the press and the president has exposed fault lines. She said, I don't think Trump is to blame for the state of how people feel about the media, and I agree with that. And I'll prove it in a moment. He exemplifies what the media gets wrong, and people are craving a more informed conversation. And she said reporters compound the situation by uh, taking to platforms such as Twitter where they supplement the reporting with unfiltered thoughts and snark, including about the president. The press has turned back the trust, she said, and until it does, I think those Pew numbers will go down. People see there's a sense, there's a sense one side is rooting for another. And the dossier by Steele, a former British intelligence officer, has been a major fault line, breathlessly reported in the weeks before the 2017 presidential inauguration. Lurid stories of Mr. Trump cavorting with prostitutes in a Moscow hotel room have now been deemed ridiculous at best and Russian disinformation at worst. After the inspector general announced findings that the FBI misused the Steele dossier, his office took a victory lap. That is Grassley's. Other Twitter accounts joined the push for accountability. One account by the name Technofog blasted reporters from NBC, CNN, Reuters, Politico, and the Washington Post, where reporter Shane Harris insisted last year that, quote, the dossier was not used as the basis for a FISA warrant on Carter Page, unquote. But in fact, the inspector general found the dossier was the critical tipping point that persuaded the FBI, which previously blocked a FISA application, to move ahead with one. 
Left-wing media watchdog, so-called. Media Matters, meanwhile, used its website to blast Fox News for an on-air claim that suggests the Steele dossier was the basis for the entire FBI investigation into Mr. Trump. In fact, the inspector general said that investigation was open before the dossier was in the bureau's hands and was based on allegations against a different Trump staffer than the one for whom the FBI obtained the FISA warrant. Media Matters did not respond to requests for comment from the Times. This is crucially important now. The media have been caught. The media... And the Democrat Party, Mr. Producer, serve as co-equal proctologists, one for the other. And I want to get into this in more detail. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit Imprimus.Hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Now, at the top of the next hour, I want to begin the process of dismantling what the media are doing today, what they've been doing for the last several years, pre-Trump and now currently. By the way, have you been to a bar, uh, Barnes & Noble lately, Mr. Produce? It's like a, uh, a temple to Michelle Obama. Her book is everywhere. And then they have some of Obama, uh, Barack Obama's books. No, if you want to find Unfreedom of the Press, you've got to search. They even have Howard Stern's book all over the place. But the number one political book of the year, the number one conservative book of the year, the number one book on the press of the year, you got to search and find it, which is why a lot of people go to Amazon. But I want to spend some time on this, folks, because people highlight, look at this Pew Research, look at this, look at this. A free press is our institution. It doesn't belong to these corporations. Just because people show up on TV, the Jake Tappers, the Don Lemons, the Cuomos, Brian Stelters, and all the rest of them, They may be on TV. They may be paid by these corporations. But a free press belongs to we the people. I don't mean we own these companies. I mean that principle belongs to us. And we need to fight for it. We have uh, no internal policing when it comes to the media. We have no serious professional standards anymore. 
people in the media, so-called journalists, they just announced that they're journalists and that whatever they say, they are free to say. It's a statement of fact in that regard. But that's not what journalism is. They consider themselves a profession, and that's the point. They're really not a profession. If they ever were, they're not anymore. When you have half the country that detests you, something is wrong. And it predates Donald Trump. When you have 90% of the news coverage from major media outlets in the first 100 days of the Trump presidency, negative, something's wrong. When you have the media pushing conspiracy theories about Russia collusion and denying actual facts, which includes Ukrainian interference in our election, as well as Russian interference in our election, by rejecting the facts of Ukrainian investigation, uh, interference in our election, as ruled by a Ukrainian court even, in order to protect the Democrat Party and their narrative, you have a problem. When all we get, pretty much, from the coverage now of this so-called impeachment is the press praying along with this system as if it's legitimate, when it's illegitimate and unconstitutional, rather than placing a check on an out-of-control Democrat party in Congress, we have a problem. Please stick with me. I consider this very, very important. I think you will, too. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. By the way, don't forget... Particularly during the holidays, it's the perfect time to download my podcast. You don't have to listen to the podcast, but have it available to you anytime you want. There's only three steps. Go to MarkLevinShow.com. That's my mothership website. MarkLevinShow.com. Click on Audio Rewind. It's at the middle of the top of the homepage. That'll take you to the podcast page, and then you click and and pick which platform you want, and it'll download. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so forth. The way you can listen to this program, if we are preempted in your local market, or let's say you don't get a signal in your local market and you can't hear us on the radio, you can listen to the podcast if you choose not to listen to satellite. It's always good to have the podcast. Always good. Because one day I may not be on radio. Who knows? You never know. You never know, and you'll want the podcast. So let's talk about this issue of Pew and the media and their turning on Trump. Now, I'm going to encourage you to do something. It's going to sound self-serving, I know, but I'm going to encourage you to do it anyway. I spent about a year writing on Freedom of the Press. I did it because I thought it was crucially important that somebody take a good look at the history of the media in this country, its evolution, good and bad, and how we got where we are today. You will not find 
a more readable and yet more substantive and comprehensive book on the subject ever. Not anywhere. And their tactics over the years and their transformation into a social activism machine took time and I take you through the steps and I explain to you what's been done. And as in all my books, I use scholarship. In other words, I'm not just blurting things out there and saying they're happening. They're happening. Christmas is very close now. It's December 16th. Those of you who have not ordered your copy of Unfreedom of the Press for yourselves, for a family member, a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, and you're looking at a Christmas gift or a Hanukkah gift, please consider Unfreedom of the Press. It's 41% off on Amazon. It's well under $17 for, for a hard copy. There was an article the other day by a leftist, I believe it was in The Hill, or somebody, Said these conservative books do so well because of bulk sales. And the New York Times puts this little cross on the, on the book. And they're bestsellers because they become number one because of bulk sales. I can't speak for everyone else, but that's not true with me. I'll give you an example. When you do a book signing, <coughs> as I do, let's say it's at the Reagan Library. They acquire several thousand copies of the book for me to sign. You purchase it from the library when you show up or in advance. And I sign them when you're in line. This happens in other places, too, where people want signed books. It's not a bulk sale, and yet it's treated as a bulk sale. And so this is the way the left tries to diminish what's taking place. We have sold half a million copies of Unfreedom of the Press in all formats. Hard copy which is what I personally buy when I buy books, e-books, e-audios. It's not enough. I don't care about the New York Times list. I'm not trying to get on the New York Times list. It's not enough. We're in the middle of this impeachment, soon to be trial. We're being lied to constantly, each and every day. We've been lied to about Russia and collusion with the Trump campaign. We were lied Lied to by various media analysts that Donald Trump had violated federal campaign finance laws in Manhattan. You remember that? We've been lied about what was in the Mueller report. We've been lied to. We've been lied to about Ukraine. We've been lied to throughout this impeachment process. It is very, very important that we not allow the media to, to define itself. They are exactly what you see. But it needs to be unraveled. And that is the point of unfreedom of the press. At the very beginning of the book, I say this, and I want you to think about this as we watch what's going on right now, as you watch a cable channel right now, as you read about or the New York Times or Washington Post right now. More than 70 years ago, there was a serious self-examination of the media. The Commission on Freedom of the Press, also known as the Hitchens Commission, was organized in 1942. 77 years ago. 
by Time and Life magazine publisher Henry Luce to explore whether freedom of the press was in danger and the proper function of the media in a modern democracy. Its report was issued in 1947, five years later, and concluded in part that freedom of the press was indeed in danger for three basic reasons. First, and I'm quoting, the importance of the press to the people has greatly increased with the development of the press as an instrument of mass communication. At the same time, the development of the press as an institute of mass communication has greatly decreased the proportion of the people who can express their opinions and ideas through the press. Second, the few who are able to use the machinery of the press as an instrument of mass communication have not provided a service adequate to the needs of society. Third, those who direct the machinery of the press have engaged from time to time in practices which the society condemns and which, if continued, it will inevitably undertake to regulate or control. The commission warned, and I quote, the modern press itself is a new phenomenon. Its typical unit is the great agency of mass communication. These agencies can facilitate thought and discussion. They mean like TV stations, radio stations, newspapers, and so forth. They can stifle it. They can debase and vulgarize mankind. They can endanger the peace of the world. They can do so accidentally in a fit of absence of mind, or they can play up or down the news and its significance, foster and feel emotions, create complacent fictions and blind spots, misuse the great words and uphold empty slogans. Their scope and power are increasing every day as new instruments become available to them. And these instruments can spread lies faster and farther than our forefathers dreamed when they enshrined the freedom of the press and the First Amendment to our Constitution. Now, the commission cautioned, again, I quote, with the means of self-destruction that are now at their disposal. Men must live, if they are to live at all, by self-restraint, moderation, and mutual understanding. They get their picture of one another through the press. The press can be inflammatory, sensational, and irresponsible. And if it is, it and its freedom will go down in a universal catastrophe. On the other hand, the press can do its duty by the new world that is struggling to be born. It can help create a world community by giving men everywhere knowledge of the world and of one another by promoting comprehension and appreciation of the goals of a free society that shall embrace all men. And I ask, is this how the modern media conduct themselves? Self-restraint? Measured? Temperate? Are the media providing knowledge and insight useful to the public in a free society? Or are they obsessed with their own personal, political, and progressive predilections and peaks? Have the media earned the respect and esteem of their readers, viewers, and listeners as fair and reliable purveyors of information? Or are large numbers of the citizenry suspicious and distrustful of their reporting? Are the media on a trajectory of self-destruction, unofficially identifying with one political party, the Democratic Party, over the other, the Republican Party? In point of fact, most newsrooms and journalists have done a very poor job of upholding the tenets of their profession and ultimately 
have done severe damage to press freedom. Many millions of Americans do not respect them or trust them as credible, fair-minded, and unbiased news sources. This is from May of 2019. For example, in October 12, 2018, Gallup reported, quote, Republicans have typically placed less trust in the media than independents and especially Democrats. But the gap between Republicans and Democrats has grown. This is what Pew says today, but it was obvious before. The current 55 percentage point gap between Republicans and Democrats is among the largest to date, along with last year's 58 point gap. Democrats trust surge last year and is now at 76%, the highest in Gallup's trend by party based on available data since 1977. Why? Because the media are trashing Trump. So the Democrats, as a group, have their highest trust of the media since 1997. Because the media are doing their dirty work. They're doing their dirty work. The Commission on Freedom of the Press had specifically emphasized that the media must pay special attention to the difference between fact and opinion. They wrote of equal importance with repertorial accuracy or the identification of fact as fact and opinion as opinion and their separation so far as possible. This is necessary all the way from the reporter's file up through the copy and makeup desk and editorial offices to the final published product. <coughs> the distinction cannot, of course, be made absolute, they say. There's not fact without a context and no factual report, which is uncolored by the opinions of the reporter. But modern conditions require greater effort than ever to make the distinction between fact and opinion. Having ignored the blurring warning of the commission, the media have knowingly commingled fact and opinion and have, in fact, regularly taken up the policies and causes of the Democratic Party. So the public's attitude toward the modern media is divided largely along ideological and party lines. And you folks need to understand that this has been a problem for a long time, but it's reached its apex, its apex with the... President Trump as our president. And the media know it, and they don't care. They don't care. Why don't they care? Because what are you going to do about it? You have these massive multi-billion dollar corporations that own these media outlets. They don't care. George Mason professor Tim Grossclose, formerly of the University of California, L.A., developed an objective social scientific method in which he calculates how the progressive political views of journalists and media outlets distort the natural views of Americans. He said it prevents us from seeing the world as it actually is. Instead, we see only a distorted version of it. It is as if we see the world through a glass, a glass that magnifies the facts that liberals want us to see and shrinks the facts that conservatives want us to see. The metaphoric glass affects not just what we see, but how we think. That is, media bias really does make us more liberal. Perhaps worst of all, media bias feeds on itself. That is, 
The bias makes us more liberal, which makes us less able to detect the bias, which allows the media to get away with more bias, which makes us even more liberal and so on. Professor Grossler continued, U.S. newsrooms are extremely one-sided. One consequence of this is what I call the first order problem of an unbalanced newsroom. This is the simple fact that if you read a newspaper article or watch a television news clip, then almost surely it will have been written or produced by a liberal. But another consequence, which I call the second order problem, may be worse. Two effects of the second order problem are the minority marginalization principle, in which members of the majority group sometimes treat members of the minority group as if they don't even exist. And by the way, you hear this when they dump on you, the Trump supporter, or certain hosts on Fox or on talk radio. They dismiss you as if you don't exist or demean you and degrade you. He goes on, and on the occasions when they do remember that the minority, minority exists, they sometimes treat the members as if they are mildly evil or subhuman. Professor Grossglos argues that another effect is the extremism redefined principle, in which the terms mainstream and extreme take on new meaning within the group. When the group is, say, very liberal, mainstream democratic positions begin to be considered centrist. And positions that would normally be considered extremely left-wing become commonplace. Is that not true? It sure is. And I keep talking about how the center keeps moving left. Which it does. And I point out in the first chapter, survey after survey, poll after poll of journalists themselves, which make it abundantly clear what their attitudes are, politically and ideologically. And I point out in this very chapter the incestuous relationship between journalists and the Democrat Party and the administrations. Time Magazine, the LA Times, Boston Globe, the Washington Post, CBS News, NBC News, ABC News, the Chicago Tribune, New York Times, CNN, on and on. The San Francisco Chronicle. Time Magazine. It's endless. The relationships in and out of politics and the media. So ideologically, politically, and substantively. More when I return. Mark Lovin. Q wants to know, what's the problem? But they do a pretty good job of reporting on it today. But we reported on it back in May. We looked at a nonpartisan Harvard Kennedy School Shorenstein Center on Media Politics and Public Policy survey regarding the press coverage of Donald Trump. And on May 18, 2017, three months after he became president of the United States. They issued a comprehensive analysis of the coverage for the first hundred days, and here's what they said. Trump's attacks on the press have been aimed at what he calls a mainstream media. Six of the seven U.S. outlets in our study, CBS, CNN, NBC, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, are among those he's attacked by name. All six portray Trump's first hundred days in highly unfavorable terms. 
And the numbers are absolutely astounding. I'll get to this after the bottom of the hour. But I want to get into other aspects of this, too. From Unfreedom of the Press. There's a reason why this book, here it is, the holiday season. There's a reason why this book is so crucially important now, during impeachment. Now, during the upcoming presidential election. Because we're not just facing the Democrats, we're facing their media. I'll be back. You're listening to Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877-381-3811. All right. Simply safe. You know, break-ins spike every single year during the holidays. Because families are traveling and burglars know people have expensive gifts lying around. That's why Simply Safe is my choice for home security. Simply Safe is comprehensive, professional home security at a fair price. Right now is the best time of the year to get a Simply Safe security system. For the holidays, they're giving you, my listeners, a huge discount on your security system and a free security camera. Simply Safe protects every room, door, and window with 24-7 professional monitoring. And if there's a break-in, Simply Safe can give real-time video confirmation, so police respond up to 3.5 times faster. And with Simply Safe, there's no contract, hidden fees, or fine print. Prices are fair and honest, starting at just 15 bucks a month. Go to simplysafemark.com right now to take advantage of Simply Safe's amazing holiday savings. And get a free HD security camera. This offers for a limited time only. And it's ending very soon, so you need to hurry. That's simplysafemark.com to save big and get a free security camera. Simplysafemark.com. Well, these Democrats, and we'll get back to the meeting in a minute. These Democrats are quite confusing, aren't they? I studied uh, a number of the presidencies, a number of the cabinet officers through our history, expecting this point of impeachment at some point, way back in March. And I have a whole section on this and on freedom of the press, but I thought this example in particular would interest you and make a very fine point. Did you know that Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, had colluded with the British when he was Secretary of the Treasury. You hear people go on and on and on. Nobody's ever colluded with another government. Well, of course, neither did Trump. But still, as the late historian and Pulitzer Prize winner Lance Banning explained, near the end of March 1793... News arrived that the revolutionary French Republic had declared war on Great Britain. So now we had France at war with Great Britain. The two great powers. President George Washington was determined to maintain the strictest neutrality. Locked in a struggle for survival, both France and Britain interfered with American neutral trade. And few Americans could be impartial about the war. The two political parties were involved in a struggle between liberty and order at home, and both saw a similar struggle in the conflict abroad. Republicans were certain that domestic conspirators desired a connection with Great Britain in order to advance their plot 
and to bring the United States into war against liberty in Europe. Similarly, Federalists suspected a connection between the Republicans and the French, which might involve America in the war and bring about a second and more violent revolution in the United States. French and British factions and political division assumed a ferocity seldom equaled. Washington found it impossible to maintain the national harmony he desired and increasingly difficult to stay above the fray. Each political party became more and more convinced that its opponents were unduly influenced by affection for a foreign power, if not by foreign money, wrote Banning. Accusations of foreign bribery have never been substantiated, at least as to high executive officers. And although historians would later turn up evidence of questionable conduct on the part of Jefferson, and more especially Hamilton, none of this evidence was known in the 1790s. Hamilton was more or less constantly involved in confidential, even clandestine communications with British agents or ministers from 1789. Jefferson came to suspect that Hamilton was secretly sabotaging his negotiations with foreign powers, particularly Britain, and this contributed to the frustrations that led him to resign his post at the end of 1793 as Secretary of State. Well, imagine that. Now, most historians have found Hamilton's actions improper, perhaps even damaging to the country's foreign relations, but have acquitted him of culpable misconduct. Hamilton. The left, particularly the Tony left, has a new affection for Hamilton. Broadway has gone absolutely giddy over Hamilton. The New York Times, Ben Brantley, chief theater critic, has written multiple comments, columns about his great hero, Hamilton. Hamilton. Would they be shocked to learn that Hamilton colluded with a foreign country? That Hamilton undermined his president's foreign policy? That Hamilton interfered in our own policies? Wouldn't they be shocked to learn that, Mr. Producer? And then, of course, in all the reporting that's been done, again, no history and no context. No history, no context. Who was the lion of the Senate? You remember, folks? Ted Kennedy? The late Senator Ted Kennedy was a one-time candidate for the Democratic Party nomination for president in 1980. He was contemplating another run in 1988. He sought the assistance of the Soviet Union in the midst of the Cold War to help defeat President Ronald Reagan's re-election effort. I wonder how many newsrooms know this and how many newsrooms are sitting on it. They all know it, and they're all sitting on it. Peter Robinson explained in Forbes, picking his way through the Soviet's archives that Boris Yeltsin had just thrown open. In 1991, Tim Sebastian, a reporter for the London Times, came across an arresting memorandum 
composed in 1983 by Viktor Chebrikov, the top man at the KGB. The memorandum was addressed to Yuri Andropov, the, man, the top man in the entire USSR. The subject line, Senator Edward Kennedy. In 1992, Sebastian published a story about the memorandum in the London Times. It's hard to miss it. There it was. Here in the United States, Sebastian's story received no attention. In his 2006 book, 13 years ago, The Crusader, Ronald Reagan, and the Fall of Communism, our good friend, historian, and professor Paul Kengor reprinted the memorandum in full. And Kengor relates that the media ignored the revelation. Grove City, college professor Kengor is a Cold War expert who's written extensively of Kennedy's collusion with the Soviets. For example, on April 12, 2018, writing in the American Spectator, not all that long ago, Ken Gore discusses, quote, a highly classified May 14, 1983 memo from the head of the KBG, KGB, Viktor Chiprakov, to his boss, the head of the USSR, Yuri Andropov, which was discovered in the former Soviet Union's archives, about which Ken Gore has written in earlier books. And he explains that, quote, the lead words atop the document stated in all caps, special importance. The next words, quote, Committee on State Security of the USSR. That's the KGB. Under that followed this stunning header, quote, Regarding Senator Kennedy's request to the General Secretary of the Communist Party, YV Andropov, unquote, Kennedy's request was delivered directly to Moscow by his law school roommate, John Tunney, a former Democratic senator from California. Digging further into the memo, Kengor observes that, quote, Kennedy was described by Cherbrikov as very troubled by U.S.-Soviet relations which Kennedy attributed not to the odious dictator spearheading the USSR, but to President Ronald Reagan. The problem was Reagan's belligerence, compounded by his alleged stubbornness. According to Kennedy, reported to Brikov, the head of the KGB, and I quote, the current threat is due to the president's refusal to engage any modification to his policies. This was made worse, said the memo, it was a 1984 presidential campaign was just around the corner and Reagan was looking easily reelectable. So Kennedy provided advice to the Soviets on what he believed to be President Reagan's electoral weaknesses. Quote, the KGB memo speculated compliments of Kennedy's appraisal that the chink in Reagan's political armor was matters of war and peace. Thus said the head of the KGB, Kennedy believes that Given that this is in the memo, <coughs> Kennedy believes that given the state of current affairs and in the interest of peace, it would be prudent and timely to undertake the following steps to counter the militaristic politics of Reagan. Gee, is this anything like Trump ever did? Next, Kennedy offered potential action items to the Kremlin. Ken Gore writes in the memo. Jabrikov then delineated for Andropov a series of specific steps proposed by Kennedy to help the Soviets influence Americans in the election. This included Kennedy arranging for Kremlin officials to meet with certain American media. Which media? The memo went so far as to directly name Walter Cronkite and Barbara Waters, 
Kennedy offered to help bring Soviet political and military officials to New York and Washington and to connect them with his friends in the press. And further, the memo included an offer from Kennedy himself to personally fly to the Kremlin to meet with Andropov, unquote. <coughs> now, the memo makes explicit Kennedy's ultimate interest, quote, Tunney remarked that the senator wants to run for president in 1988. Kennedy does not discount that during the 1984 campaign, the Democratic Party may officially turn to him to lead the fight against the Republicans and elect their candidate president. Now, this would seem to be the collusion of all collusions, right? The president had a phone call with the president of Ukraine, which was perfectly fine, perfectly innocent, trying to advance American foreign policy. What's this? The line of the Senate. Yet despite the explosive bombshells about Kennedy's betrayal published in the London Times in 1992 and Ken Gore's revelations in his 2006 book, not a single major news outlet was interested in interviewing him or seriously covering Kennedy's actions during his lifetime. He would pass away in 2009, well after these revelations were made public. Ken Gore observed that the press response was the exact opposite of today's maniacal digging on Donald Trump. Sources like CNN, which have now launched into 24-7 breaking news mode on Trump and the Russians, didn't do a single news story on Kennedy and the Russians. Ken Gore said, I can tell you unequivocally that I was never contacted once by CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and on and on. And my 2006 book, he said, was published by HarperCollins, one of the top publishing houses. There were also no congressional inquiries or hearings, no ethics investigations, no Logan Act-related probe of the sort that was unleashed as a pretext against Michael Flynn. No special counsel criminal investigation. There was nothing. And the Democratic Party press was utterly uninterested. This is why you hate the press. This is why you have every reason to hate the press, because the press have destroyed themselves. This is not a free press. Maybe the museum, before it, it shuttered and locked its doors and went broke, should have considered having somebody like me speak to them about how the press is conducting itself, undermining our republic, bastardizing the First Amendment. Maybe that's the speech they needed to hear. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. As we celebrate the Christmas and holiday season, we often pause to consider our many blessings. Hillsdale College thanks you for your loyalty as it celebrates 175 years of blessings. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving a free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. 
Perhaps you receive in Primus for free every month, or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses, or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of federal or state money? No government money. This independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom without government interference. At no time in our nation's history has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. Merry Christmas from Hillsdale College. To learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. You know, when you look in our country and you look in Israel, two truly historic leaders are under brutal attack from the same elements. From their political opposition in the various political parties and from their media, their country's media. Donald Trump has never had a honeymoon. By that I mean the first hundred days. The Democrats have never accepted a peaceful transition of power from Obama to Trump. The Obama administration, for which Obama takes no responsibility, used federal law enforcement and federal national security to spy on, to lie to a court, to leak, and to trigger a criminal investigation of a man who decided to try and help his country by leaving his business and daring to run for office and daring to win. In Israel, you have a long-time serving prime minister, the longest-serving prime minister in that country's or that government's history. Enormous progress, both overseas and domestically. But the same forces in that country, the hard left, whether in the bureaucracy and the police and the prosecutors are part of the bureaucracy there, or whether in the media, won his scalp. In fact, they want him in prison. The left is diabolical. The deaf does not accept electoral results. The left will burn their constitutions and burn their systems down in order to gain power and hold it. That's what you are viewing. That's what you're viewing. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I think we can all now agree that James Comey shouldn't have been anywhere near the FBI or the U.S. Attorney's Office or the Department of Justice. He is a very sick 
delusional man. Very dangerous man. Takes no responsibility whatsoever for what he did or what took place under him. A very sick man who for a very, very long time was in very powerful positions. But that's not what I wanted to talk to you about. A neighbor of mine came up to me this evening, about an hour before the show. It said something that I thought was quite profound. Many of you might say, well, I already thought that, but I had not. He said to me, I'm convinced one of the reasons they're impeaching the president is the Supreme Court. I said, really, what do you mean by that? Well, the president has less than 11 months to go. Ruth Bader Ginsburg appears to be very ill. He's not wishing anything terrible. He's just saying what he, what he sees. And there's no question she is and has been. And should she have to leave the bench by hook or by crook, they want to be able to say, not only will we not allow this president to replace her, or for that matter, any Supreme Court justice in the remaining whatever number of months of his presidency, but we will never al- allow an impeached president to appoint anybody else to the Supreme Court. Whether he wins re-election or not. You see what he's saying, Mr. Producer? Isn't that interesting? And I'll bet he's right. I'll bet that's part of the calculation. That they want to claim that they have crippled this lawless president, that the Republicans wouldn't remove him from office, and there is no way that the Democrats will ever agree to him making another Supreme Court appointment, either in the next 11 months, or as I say, should he get reelected, and then the four years subsequent to his first term. And as I thought about that, I said, you're absolutely right. That's clearly one of the reasons they're trying to do this. And you can also hear them saying, now there's the mantra, that he has to be impeached and removed now. Why? Why? Because we cannot trust him for the rest of his term. And we cannot trust him in the upcoming next election not to work with foreign governments. And should he win the next election and become president again, we can't trust him as far as the eye can see. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, they wanted to impeach Donald Trump when he was candidate Trump and before he was president. And so now what we have effectively is an ongoing impeachment strategy. Or an ongoing impeachment mentality. The hard left in this country, which has taken over the Democrat Party, taken over its entire body and soul and mind, the hard Marxist fundamental transformation left, is quite serious about what they're doing. This is, at least now, their apex of power. Even though they have a small minority in the House, they don't control the Senate, 
or the presidency. And what they do when they have one of these levers of government is they use them to sabotage the others. When they controlled the Senate, but not the House, it was the filibuster rule. When they control the House and not the Senate, it's the impeachment provision. When they control the presidency and or one of the other houses or neither, they legislate out of the Oval Office with DACA and so forth. And they always have their permanent partners in the mass bureaucracy with whom they are attached at the hip. But I think my neighbor is correct that one of the reasons they're going to impeach this president is so they can say that no Democrat should ever vote in the Senate if they don't control it or do control it to allow him to appoint anybody else to the United States Supreme Court, period. Now you hear the backbenchers burp this out tomorrow, but you know where you heard it. I heard it from my neighbor. Right across the street. But I think that's correct. When you look at this House of Representatives, or just look at Congress, the framers never contemplated individuals would run for Congress for more than a few terms in the House. And, of course, they didn't run in the Senate. They were appointed by the state legislatures for the most part. They would never have imagined a Nancy Pelosi or an Adam Schiff or a Nadler as permanent a politician can be in these one-party districts. They would have thought that is absolutely unhealthy. It never entered their minds to have term limits. And the other reason was the federal government wasn't where the action was. The state governments, that's where the action was. They never believed the federal government would become as powerful as it did. So who the hell would want to serve 30, 40 years in the House? Or 30, 40 years in the Senate? But that's what's happened. On top of that, Not only didn't the framers contemplate that when we talk about impeachment, they absolutely, absolutely would never have supported the bastardization of the impeachment process that we see today. We know that from Madison's notes. We know that from the Federalist Papers. Never. And so when you look at these career politicians bastardizing the impeachment process, Both of those factors have gone into what's taking place today. The framers never supported a permanent government in that sense. They would never have believed in this massive bureaucracy. It's one thing to have administrators. It's another thing to have a fourth branch of government that isn't even accounted for in the Constitution. Donald Trump's election went against all of it. Now, I should tell you, that I am not blind to the fact that what's happening now in Congress and in the executive branch is a massive spending spree. Massive debt. You may not be aware of this, but it's taking place right now and has been taking place the last several weeks. 
that the Democrats are getting an awful lot of what they want in terms of spending and priorities. Federal employees paid family leave for three months. That was snuck in either the, uh, the new trade bill or the spending bill. So nobody in either party or any branch of government is paying any attention to the profligate spending that's going on. That's another reason the Democrats and the media are pursuing this endless impeachment process, which has been going on now for years. For years as a general matter, and literally for a handful of months as a specific matter, on Ukraine. That's to take our eye off the ball when it comes to the growing size of the debt and the central government. And to make it more and more difficult for a president to push his priorities. By the way, as an aside, you know, I read a ton, but study a ton too. There's a lot of talk about a new conservatism. Everybody tries a new conservative. Marco Rubio's trying. My man Tucker's trying. Everybody wants to redefine conservatism. You can't redefine conservatism. You can redefine the marketing of conservatism, PR. You can redefine tactics or strategies related to advancing the cause of conservatism. But you can't redefine conservatism any more than you can redefine the, the Declaration of Independence. What do you mean you're going to redefine conservatism? The principles that underlay conservatism, the principles that underlay conservatism are the principles of our founding. They can't be remade or redefined, again, outside of the marketing context. They are truisms. Truisms. That's why we're conservatives. We have unalienable rights granted to us by God. We believe in natural rights and natural law as our founders did. We believe that the voluntary market system, it was, it was Marx who called it capitalism first, but the voluntary market system involving your own private property and your own voluntary trade and whether you want to sell or acquire whatever it is, is inextricably linked to individual liberty. And I could go on and on and on. Marco Rubio can't redefine that. My man Tucker can't redefine that. And by the way, these are not criticisms. This is a, an, an engaging in a discussion. Again, they can remarket it. I haven't heard from Rubio. Have you, Mr. Producer? It's an amazing thing. You never hear from him anymore, except here and there he, he puts out a piece on conservatism after Trump. The reason why massive spending is destructive it's because it empowers politicians, it empowers bureaucrats, it empowers government. Talk about draining the swamp. That feeds the swamp. You're draining resources and knowledge and jobs out of the market. And what's the market? The civil society. 
you're redistributing, <coughs> excuse me, not just power, but wealth and control from the individual and entrepreneurs to bureaucrats and government and politicians. It'll never cease to amaze me how many people in this country despise politics and politicians, but support their acquisition of bigger and bigger chunks of our free society to lord over us. It's really incongruent, irrational. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. CNN's Manu Raju rhymes with I don't know Manu Raju at a news conference today involving Chuck Schumer now this could be interesting cut six go of those four witnesses that you've called, some of the Republicans have suggested that it's not the Senate's job to get these witnesses. That was supposed to be done by the House Democrats, and the House Democrats decided not to go to court to get these witnesses. Should the Democrats in the House have pursued these witnesses? All right, well, I want you to stop a second. This is the one in a thousand times, just one in a thousand, where Raju, that is Manu Raju, has conducted himself as a journalist, Mr. Producer. Usually he is a predictable left-wing propagandist, but he actually asked a very serious, penetrating question of Schumer. He says, look, you want four witnesses. And some of the Republicans have suggested it's not the Senate's job to get these witnesses now. That was supposed to be done by the House. And the House Democrats decided not to go to court and get these witnesses. Should the Democrats in the House have pursued these witnesses? What does Schumer say? Go. Look, I'm not going to second-guess the House. There is virtually no argument, no good argument, if you're interested in the facts and not having these witnesses come forward. Yes, there is, and I'll give you one. This entire process is illegitimate. This entire process is unconstitutional as a result of what the House of Representatives did. And I'm giving you the Levin view, and the Levin view has been the same from day one on this. There should not be a long trial. They should not be calling witnesses. They should try to dismiss this matter as soon as it gets to the Senate. But if McConnell is insistent on bringing the matter up as a trial because he says that the Constitution compels it, even though you can't find any language that supports that position, then kill it as fast as you can. Why, ladies and gentlemen? We must not give credence to what the House of Representatives has done. They have lied. They have deceived. They have schemed in order to bring down the President of the United States. And you don't have a full trial with witnesses because you want to get at this witness or that witness or another witness. You shut them down. And you make a mark in the history books for all time. That the reason the Republicans shut down the Democrats in the House is because they conducted themselves in a way that was eviscerating the Constitution. And that the Senate will not give its imprimatur to what Schiff, Nadler, and Pelosi did. Period. And if Schumer's confused about it, who cares? He always walks around like he's confused. By the way, what is with his posture, Mr. Producer? He's like humped over, staring at his feet. 
he's a mess, this guy, with the cornrows on his head. And uh, anyway, go ahead. And remember, the standard at a trial is different than the standard when a prosecutor, in this case the House Impeachment Authority, puts together a case. No, 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 no. Where does this come from? Where he's calling the impeachment wing, the prosecutor. If they're the prosecutor, what happened to the rights of the defense counsel? No. Go ahead. Trial is a place for witnesses. Not necessarily. The court can dismiss a matter. Let's pretend. Let's play along. The prosecution brings its case. The prosecution slams all notions of due process. They try and fix a case and fix a trial, and it comes before the judge, and it comes before the jury. They can dismiss it. They don't have to entertain it. They have to call witnesses in support of an unconstitutional effort by the House of Representatives. But again, in a rare, rare, did I say rare moment, Manu Raju, over at the Constipated News Network, Asked a serious journalistic question. Maybe he'll get some kind of prize. Not from the journalists. They'd give him a booby prize. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Senator Mike Lee, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thank you so much, Mark. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back. How's the family? Oh, the family's doing really well, but yeah. they do especially well when they listen to your radio show. Oh, I encourage goodness. everyone to do every day. Thank you. Thank me. And your beautiful wife. Give her my best, and my wife does as well. Now, Senator Lee. Will do. We've seen an awful lot of abuse of power with this FISA statute, and I've taken the position, if this damn thing can't be effectively reformed, then kill it. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. Like most things dealing with excessive government, this is an area where we ought to resolve the conflict by getting rid of it if we can't otherwise solve the problem. Here, the FBI has shown an inability and an unwillingness to handle this stuff responsibly. And if they can't handle it, we can't figure out another way. We ought to just end the program. This is uh, an abuse. You know, last week we had this hearing with Horowitz. What we saw was a huge win for the American people and a huge loss for the deep state because the the IG report was simply devastating for the federal government's FISA program, and it should be. I don't understand this this Comey, this Jim Comey. I mean, I thought Chris Wallace had a very penetrating interview with him uh, and exposed him in many ways. You have a record like this as the head of the FBI, these things going on, the uh, the fixing of evidence, the the processing of false documents and applications for FISA warrants, lying and deceiving, and and you have um, you have individuals that you're trying to turn in the Trump campaign, like you're investigating them, and of course there was nothing wrong with it. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this in American history, and this guy blows it off. He blew it off. He not only blew it off, but he said everything was handled correctly, and he was dead wrong. I mean, look, Mark, just look at look at the, the objective facts in this report. 
When you look at the, the facts in the report, supporters of the spying that occurred on the Trump campaign have to admit, first, either that these FBI agents purposely used the power of the federal government to wage a political war against a presidential candidate they despised, or alternatively, these agents were so incompetent that they allowed some two-bit foreign political operative to weaponize the FISA program into a spying operation on a rival political campaign. I'm not sure which is worse, but Mm. what I do know is that neither conclusion is acceptable. And Jim Comey was high as a kite. I don't mean that literally. I mean figuratively. He was nuts in suggesting that everything in the FBI was just fine. When I first saw that comment, I thought, surely he can't mean that. I'm glad that he finally retracted it, sort of. But it causes me to to wonder about all kinds of conversations I had with him over the years when he told me everything within the FBI was was just fine, when we had reason to know otherwise. You know, Senator Lee, I'll tell you why I'm skeptical if this can even be fixed. You, uh, you're a lawyer, you're a practice lawyer. I litigated for a period of time. If I had conducted myself this way in front of a federal judge, and they would later learn that I was fixing evidence, that I was lying to the court in order to get a warrant, I don't care counterintelligence or just a straightforward warrant, I'd lose my license. You know what's interesting? These federal judges at these FISA courts, they're federal judges, they're already federal judges, Not one of them, as far as we know, has called for an evidentiary hearing or a contempt hearing. They've done nothing to protect their courts. It's shocking. Right. Right. And and I can't speak to why they haven't done that. Maybe they feel that their judicial role prohibits them from doing that. Whatever the case, what I do know is that I've sworn an oath independently to protect the Constitution. As a U.S. senator, it's my job to make sure that these laws aren't subject to abuse. I know, in fact, that they are subject to abuse. I've been calling them out on this for nine years. Uh, A number of my colleagues for years have told me I'm crazy to be worried about this because, as they put it, oh, we've got professionals there. Don't don't worry about them. Just trust them. We have safeguards in place. Well, the the findings in this IG report finally proved my point. And so it's, it's time for us, as you say, to either reform Pfizer or perhaps just get rid of the whole thing. Because our government has shown that it's not run by angels, and mm-hmm. it's not capable of operating in the way that it should. And, you know, the American people need to understand, and I think many in this audience do, there is nobody in that courtroom to represent the individual or individuals who are targeted. Nobody. And so you have to rely on the virtuousness the people who are presenting the information, there's a long sign-off list, including the FBI director and typically the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. They, they, they now have told us they don't even read this stuff. Yep. And, and, and I'm concerned, Senator, the judges aren't reading this stuff because they're rubber-stamping them. I hear 98, 99% of them go through. I've never heard 98 or 99% of anything going through. It's one of the reasons why we need strict standards in this area. It's a little bit akin to, say, securing a grand jury indictment. Now, I, I was a federal prosecutor. I've gone into grand juries to seek indictments, and, you know, it's probably a comparable return rate. You probably get at least 98, 99% of grand juries sought, uh, grand jury indictments sought, probably get returned. But that increases rather than diminishes the obligation on the part of the government attorneys to make sure that they adhere to whatever standards are in place. 
especially with something like a, a FISA application, where in nearly all circumstances, these will never be known. They're not going to result in criminal mm -hmm. charges that later have to be proven or disproven before a jury. In most instances, these will never be known to the public. And that's why we've got to have real standards. We don't have those in the law today, and that's got to change. And at least the grand jury is populated by citizens, as defective as that system may be. This is the government and the government and the government. Right. Right. The FISA courts. None of these guys are, are apparently all that concerned, uh, or if concerned, not sufficiently able to weed out fake evidence or, or evidence that's based on something else that's fake. And that's why they can't be trusted with this anymore. This is why we can't have nice things. You know, Senator Lee, it's almost by accident. Well, by the hard work of a very small handful of individuals that we figured out or found out about some of this information. It's not because of the great work of uh, NBC or CBS or ABC or the Washington Post or the New York Times. And in so many ways, they were complicit. They were receiving leaks from the FBI. There were FISA leaks in the media. And so we cannot rely on them to get to the bottom of this either. That, that's why I'm, I'm almost there where I say, just kill the damn thing. That's just Mark's opinion. No, and, and you're absolutely right, Mark. And this is one of the reasons why you know, it's been about 10 years since I first read your book, Liberty and Tyranny. It's one of the things that convinced me to run for the United States Senate. I was reading your book, and, and everything you said resonated with me, including your explanation of the fact that when we give government too much power, government expands necessarily at the expense of individual liberty. It's why we have to be suspicious of government power. And nowhere do we have more reason to be more suspicious than in areas like the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. It gives the government the power to spy on you as a U.S. citizen. That's wrong, and we've got to change it. Let me ask you this, Senator Mike Lee. As best as you can tell, I know you don't do the head counts in the Senate. And I don't, you don't have to give me names. I'm not trying to create any, uh, any issues here. Does it pretty much seem the Republicans, at least right now, are relatively united when this thing comes to trial? Yes. I, uh, the only thing I would change about that sentence is that um, I, w I would take out the word relatively. I, I, I Good. don't think. Now, now I, in the absence of, and I've got to be careful that I'm not speaking for colleagues. It's not my job to speak for them. It is nonetheless my impression, based on what I've seen, that it, if the same evidence that's been brought out up to this point were brought before the Senate, I can't imagine that there would be a single Republican senator voting to remove the president. Why? Well, because he hasn't done anything impeachable. He hasn't done anything against the law. He hasn't even done anything wrong. <laughs> president Trump succeeded where Barack Obama tried and failed for years to convince the Ukrainians to investigate Burisma. And for that, the Democrats claim that he should be removed. It's nonsense, and I think Republican senators know it. And when you have to put out almost 700 pages to try and make your case, Senator Lee, that tells me you're just trying to flood the media markets, flood the American people. Nobody's going to read 700 pages or very few people, even though they'll comment on them like they have, because you're just throwing everything and the kitchen sink at the president of the United States and dressing it up. And so the purpose here is really just to overwhelm 
your opponents. Look at this. Look at this must be serious. We have the Manhattan phone book here. What's your take on that? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, my, uh, my my late father, uh, as you know, was was also Rex a Lee was a tremendous man. Lee. Yep, and he he used to say that when you're making an argument in court, you need to try to narrow down the points you make. Ideally, to no more than three. You never want to go north of five, but you you, you, you want to try to capsulize your arguments into three points. And if if you've got to the point where it takes you 700 pages to explain something that should be intuitive, like the impeachment of a president, odds are pretty good that your case is just a really bad one and that you shouldn't be doing this in the first place. That's certainly what's going on here. You know, it, it was interesting, Senator, that uh, that Chuck Schumer gave a list, a short list of four witnesses he'd like to hear from, and not one of them was the so-called whistleblower. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, stunning. I mean, when, when the entire basis of this investigation, of this impeachment, rests on the accusations that came forward from one person, we really do have good reason, not just to be curious, but to need to know about the provenance, about the origin of that complaint. And yet Chuck Schumer apparently doesn't see the need to hear from him, just like Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi didn't. That's mm-hmm. curious. That's damning. That's a reason why we can know with relative certainty that this whole thing is trumped up. It's a ridiculous set of accusations against our president. I want to have you back through the course of this trial, Senator. Uh, you're, you're a wonderful voice out there. I don't know why. Where have I been, Rich? Why didn't we have the senator on before? I'll tell you why. I don't have a lot of senators on. I'll be perfectly honest with you. But, yeah, uh, but you're, you're different. For the most part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, and hey, take thanks, care Lord. of yourself. Take care. All right. God bless. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, you're right about that, Rich. And I shall get to it. Everybody, here it is. Home title. You've heard of Deborah. Deborah's home was stolen. How do you steal a home? I'm about to tell you. I don't mean thieves picked it up and put it in a truck and stole it. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. This story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to, to her home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned it. And it gets worse. She said she was evicted from her home and $85,000 in equity gone, stolen. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. You're still obligated to pay that loan. So you lose your home and you pay the loan and the crooks make off with your money. Friends, this is why you need to get home title lock. Because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com and register your address. First things first, to see if you're already a victim and don't know it. Then sign up to help protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. And to get you started, I got you 60 risk-free days of protection. 60 risk-free days of protection. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin'. 
know, this season, Omaha Steaks is sharing an amazing limited time offer with my listeners. And there's still time to place your order for the holidays. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, in the search bar to order the favorite gift package. The gift all of your friends and family will love for only $69.99. Order now and you'll get four six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet mignons, the most tender steak in the world, four savory premium pork chops, four Obama steaks, excuse me, Omaha Steaks Burgers, four perfectly brown potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets. Man, I'm starving. An Obama Steak Signature Seasoning Packet, plus only for you, my listeners, a free six-piece cutlery set and cutting board. Omaha Steaks are the most tender, the most flavorful, and you can only get steaks of this quality from Omaha Steaks, America's original butcher. Just go to omahasteaks.com, type in Levin, L-E-V-I-N, in the search bar. Don't wait. If you want to take advantage of this offer and get your gift there before the holidays are over, order the favorite gift packages today. Omahasteaks.com, type in Levin, L-E-V-I-N. So Elisa Slotnick is one of the liars from one of these districts that elected Trump, promising to be a different kind of congressperson. I guess we call them now Congress exes. And uh, she turns out to be the usual left-wing hack, voted for Pelosi to be the speaker, voted for a so-called impeachment inquiry, and now she says she's going to vote to impeach. All of these phony moderates were never moderates. They were never moderates. They were moderates in drag. They are liberals and moderates in drag. And here's what happened today at her town hall meeting. Hat tip, right scoop, cut 20, go. A whole other group of folks um, came out uh, around the time of the Mueller Mueller testimony. And I did not think that, you know, the events of that or the actions of that time were worth of, worthy of an impeachment inquiry. And I didn't because I thought we needed to let the election of 2020 decide what was going to happen in our country. But those changed, that changed for me on the very basic facts that the President of the United States came out and his lawyer came out and said very specifically that they had reached out to a foreign power and asked him for information on a political rival. She's a fool and a fraud. She didn't ask him for information on a political rival. What the president did was ask about Hunter Biden, public information about his crookedness, and Joe Biden, and asked that they consider looking into it with the assistance of the attorney general. And what she doesn't mention, of course, is that the Democrats push for, Democrats in and out of government, push for a special counsel who actually went to 13 countries looking for dirt on the president of the United States and his campaign and came up empty. So she's looking for an excuse. She's now become a Pelosi lapdog. And she needs to be defeated. So I would strongly encourage Mr. Producer, let's put together the list of these people and the districts they're in when you get a chance. We could, Yeah. 
And, and we'll point them all out to you, to the whole country. Because they need to be punished politically. They are liars who deceive their constituents, and they need to go home and stay home. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And we are going to have, we the Levinites, surges in every one of these damn districts. Thank you, folks. I'll see you tomorrow. Good to be back. God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.